How many people tonight know that we're in the middle of actually a special time in the Jewish calendar? Anyone? Anyone that didn't go to HUC? <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyone know what it's called right now? What? The weeks? Did I hear someone say that? Yes, exactly. The three weeks. Good. The Bain Hamitzarim in Hebrew. It's the three weeks that lead up to Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, the day on which we commemorate the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that moment when biblical Judaism was replaced with rabbinic Judaism, the sacrificial system replaced with prayer, all of those important changes. In traditional communities around the world, this period is considered the lowest and darkest point of the Jewish year. On Shabbat morning, during these three weeks, we read special Haftarah portions known as the Haftarot of Affliction, in which our prophets warned the people, and especially the leadership, of the coming destruction. Because we have not heeded God's commandments, cared for the orphan and the widow and the poor, because we have allowed hatred to rise up amongst ourselves, God abandons us, the tradition teaches. Tisha B'Av, as my teacher, Dr. Rabbi Rachel Adler writes, is the day on which we have no covenant and God's face is hidden from us. Reform Judaism has a fraught relationship with this commemoration. This period of time is focused on mourning the destruction of the temple and is therefore implicitly connected to eschatologies, and an eschatology is a theology of the end of the world, connected to eschatologies that yearn for the rebuilding of our temple and a restoration of the priestly class and the sacrificial system. In other words, this morning is connected to a desire to fire up the old barbecue in Jerusalem, and it's not really part of our Reformed theology. We, in fact, fully reject any eschatology that includes rebuilding the temple and restoring the priestly class. It's been written out of our prayer book since the 19th century and scrubbed clean of any reference in our whole thought system. Indeed, this is actually the reason why so many Reformed synagogues are called temples. We don't need to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem, so the tradition says. We have our temple here in San Francisco or in Buenos Aires or in Paris. This stream in Reformed Jewish thought was at one time so central that one of our early reformers, Rabbi David Einhorn, created a liturgy of celebration instead of mourning for Tisha B'Av, because in his view, the destruction of the temple signaled an important and progressive evolution in religious thought and practice. He viewed the transition from biblical, rabbinic, from biblical to rabbinic Judaism as a move away from tribal and ethnocentric religion to a universal humanist theology. In his prayer book, Olat Tamid, we find the following passage. The one temple in Jerusalem sank into the dust in order that countless temples might arise to thy honor and glory all over the wide surface of the globe. The true and real sanctuary, they imperishable testimony, remained ours, untouched and undimmed. In this our hope, this day of mourning and fasting hath, according to the word of thy prophet, been turned into a solemn day of rejoicing in view of the glorious destiny of thy law and our high messianic mission, which had its beginning with the historic events we recall today. 
This shift away from a traditional eschatology was indeed radical for the time, and it was important. Einhorn, who was also an outspoken abolitionist in the United States, something that was not true of all the early reform leaders, saw deep connections between the shift away from temple-centric Judaism and the relationship between Jewish religiosity and social justice. This theological shift is part of what paved the way for the contemporary reform relationship to tikkun olam. Our temple is not in Jerusalem. Our temples are all over the world. And the business of these temples is to be concerned with the people of the world, not only the business of the Jewish people. In recent years, however, some reformed Jews have worked to reclaim this liturgical period, not because they've started to long for the return of the sacrificial system, but rather because of the religious significance of having a period of mourning and sadness. This view, also put out by, among others, my teacher, Rachel Adler, argues that in its excitement about a universalist human faith, along with a very German desire for decorum, space for something very old and very human was swept away from the synagogue. Lament, a deep and profound expression of grief, including the grief of our collective history. Indeed, it is on Tisha B'Av that we chant the entire book of lamentations and other keynote, other elegies, while seated in dim lighting on the floor of the synagogue, sometimes with a chair toppled over and the decorative curtains and coverings of the Torah removed to, sim to symbolize the destruction. The Hebrew title of the Book of Lamentations, Echa, simply means how. And the book continues to address this question to God. Echa, how? How could you? How could you let our beloved city be vanquished? How could you let vile things happen to our children, our wives, our fathers? Ech, how, how? What kind of God are you? And so in this way, Tisha B'Av, unlike other liturgical moments in the Jewish year, has the potential to connect us with an important spiritual truth in Judaism. It's okay to be angry with God and that there is actually enough room in heaven for our grief and our sorrow. We don't have to keep it all in, and we don't have to pretend that there is always a reason for our loss. For this, we can be righteously angry and sorrowful and express it. The Protestant Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann writes that lament shifts the calculus and redresses the distribution of power between the two parties so that the petitionary party is taken seriously and the God who is addressed is newly engaged in the crisis in a way that puts God at risk. Building on this, Adler continues to say that because God is a God of justice and not a cosmic bully, God can be confronted by God's covenant partner. That's us. According to Brueggemann, rather than presenting a compliant false self and rendering the relationship manipulative and insincere, the lamenter confronts God with the immediacy of suffering in a way that renders retribution unjustifiable. It occurs to me that these two relationships to Tisha B'Av are not actually oppositional. Rabbi Einhorn's insistence in the 19th century that we look forward to a universal humanism rather than our tribal past, and Rabbi Adler's insistence on the importance of lament 
in a world that is indeed full of grief and sorrow. We should celebrate the evolution of our people. We should not yearn to return to an archaic past in which we had a rigid hereditary leadership structure and in which burning animals was our central spiritual practice. Judaism has changed and evolved, and we want to be a part of a contemporary global conversation. We want, to, we want our synagogues to actualize the words of the prophet Isaiah that my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. And at the same time, it's important that we remember that our ancestors passed on a tradition that teaches us how to weep, how to feel and experience loss without repressing it. It is important that we know how to lament, how to cry out to the Holy One and demand a more just world. If we cannot experience our grief or the grief of our neighbors, if we cannot lament a world of injustice, then our temples are not really places for all people. Shabbat Shalom.